Hi, this is Eli Nelson, and this is the My City Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It is our prayer that this message will awaken you to come alive in the things of Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Thank you this morning, today. We're going to keep on uh, diving into the Word today. We're just going to deliver it from a different method. How many have your Bibles this morning? Come on, lift it up in the air. Let me see it. Let me see your Bibles. If it's on your phone, let me see it. I'm going to have you stay standing. We're going to stay standing in honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord. We're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to ask that if you are able, that if you would be able to stand to your feet, if you're able, in honor of the reading of the Lord, we're going to be going off the theme scripture in our City Girl Conference Sunday. I have the honor of bringing the word. The ladies did a fantastic job yesterday, and uh, they kind of put me in this place as the anchor to finish off this. And my wife shared this yesterday morning, the scripture, and this is the foundation for our conference this weekend, and I felt that I should be sharing it with you as well, because I believe it is not just a word for our ladies, but a word for the church. So Matthew chapter 12, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother? This say, my mom. Who is my mother and who are you, my, who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever, say whoever, does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. City Girl Conference was titled Us. Some of the patriotic fans in here today were saying it's titled U.S. Well, I mean, I guess you could see that if you want, but it's really us. And this is us as a church. We are together brothers, sisters, and mothers and fathers in this place today. So I'm excited to talk to you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Today's title, The Essential Church. Can I tell you that church is important? The body of Christ is imperative for you to be a part of. The essential church. Let's dive into that today. Lord, we thank you for your word. That is true. So we pray that you would speak through this sermon today. I'm yielding over to you, Father God. I pray that you would deliver this just as you shared it, even with my wife and as you revealed it to me over this week. God, I pray that you would bless your church with your word. And so help me to get out of the way. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And right now, church, if you're hungry for the word of God and for the Lord to speak to you, would you open up your hands and say these words after me? Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the word of God today. As you're seated today, say, what's up, brother? And if it was a sister, say, what's up, sister? Brother, sister, if it was your mother and your father, say, what's up, mom, dad? I'm going to be reading out of uh, the Essential Church today. And I got some great books that I need you to um, purchase. If you've been a part of any kind of church division or any kind of church split in the past, uh, you really need to pick up this book. It's called A House United. So you need to look it up right now and you need to purchase it. It'll help you with a lot of healing and help you with a lot of direction on how to process church division, church splits, etc. It's by Francis Franchipane. It's A House United. All right, so that's that. 
And if you haven't been a part of any kind of church split, but you've been a part of a church for a while, you need to also pick up this book. It's 12 Christian Beliefs That Will Drive You Crazy. It's by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Uh, I'm just going to read just a few things. I wasn't planning on doing this, but felt lead to, led to. These are 12 Christian beliefs that will drive you crazy. Number one, it's selfish to have my needs met. That's wrong. If I'm spiritual enough, I will have no pain or sinfulness. This is another assumption. If I change my behavior, I will grow spiritually and emotionally. Number four is I just need to give it to the Lord. This is a 12 Christian beliefs that will drive you crazy. This is something that you should pick up. If you've been saved for a while, you have picked up dogma and doctrines that are actually not biblical, but they're a man-made. They're fractured. They, they are manufactured by men, and they have fractured the unity of the church. And so be picking up those two books, 12 Christian beliefs that will drive you crazy, and or A House United by Francis Vangipane. I'm going to be talking about the essential church today, and I'm going to start it off with a question. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? All right, here's the question. When was the last time you thought about the Roman Empire? All right, all right, all right. Within the last week, let me see a show of hands. Within the last three days, let me see a show of hands. Yesterday, let me see a show of hands. I think about the Roman Empire almost every day. And the reason why is because the Roman Empire was prominent during the time of Jesus. Not just because it fascinates me and because I'm a man, but also because it was prominent during the time of Jesus. The word during the time of Jesus, the world, the entire world, even though the empire, Roman Empire oversaw it, it was divided. The Roman Empire was in full swing, but there were barbarians in the north with their customs and religions, the residue of Greek culture and their customs and religions, along with the continual indoctrination of Roman Latin culture permeating throughout humanity. The world was constantly at odds with one another. This was during the time of Jesus. Revolutions in Jerusalem, uh, revolutions happening in the Greek Empire, all sorts of different things happening during the Roman Empire. And you know, what we see is that when the world was separated through nationality, race, upheaval, technology, then comes Christ and the birth of the church. Can I get an amen? See, during there was, when there was division, Christ birthed the church. And we see that the church breaks through all cultural barriers. Oh, come on. This is going to be a great day today. It breaks through titles. It breaks through status. It breaks through nationality and brings people together from various backgrounds in unity under one name, the name of Jesus Christ. So we see we are one body. We are under one name. Christ is the head. We are his brothers and his sisters. Now when Jesus says, these are my brothers and my sisters and my mother, it was not a demotion to his family of blood, but it was actually a promotion to us. It was not saying, yeah, you're not really my mom, or you ain't my brothers, you ain't my sisters. No, it was like, you guys also are my brothers and sisters. It was a promotion, because everyone who does the will of the Father is his brother and his sister and his mother. So we all have been brought into the family of God, Galatians 3.26 says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, 
nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Come on, is that good news today? Let's put our hands together for the word of God. That is good news today, that no matter who you were, you are brought in under the family of God. We are all clothed with Christ, and to put on Christ is a daily decision. The church is referred to many different things. It's referred to as the body of Christ. It is referred to as the bride of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I could care less if people have a problem about me. But I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world, and that's my wife, Kelly. Now, you can have a problem with me, and I'll just let it rub off on my shoulders. But if you have a problem with my wife, hold on. Then be fighting words. <laughs> like, you don't talk about my wife. You don't mess with my wife. You want to see a side of a guy that doesn't come out very often, you start messing with his wife. And I can't help but think the way that men look at their spouse is also the way that God looks at his church. See, because I see a lot of people love the idea of Jesus, but to the idea of the church, they're kind of turned off by. I don't really like the church. Well, I can tell you, if you like me, but if you don't like my bride, you don't got a problem with my bride, you also have a problem with me. Now, I'm not going to step in, and I'm not going to intervene in that. My wife's a person. She can stand up for herself for the most part, but I will defend her to death. And I believe that Christ is defending to something that we're crucifying. Christ is defending his church on a daily basis. He died for his church. Why are we persecuting his church? Why are we, as the church, constantly found at odds with the church See, I say, write this down today. If you say yes to Christ, you also say yes to his church. The church is essential. Say that with me. Say, the church is essential. What I find many of us as we go through and we call our relationship with Christ an individual relationship. We say it's my relationship with Christ, which is true. But can I tell you, it's also a corporate relationship with Christ. It is my relationship with Christ, but it is also our relationship with Christ. Because to say yes to Christ is to say yes to his church. To say yes to the church. It is my life, my relationship with Christ and what he has done for me. Yes, that's true. But we forfeit that the moment we give our life to Christ. We forfeit our lives. This relationship that Jesus is talking about, about a brother, sister, and family, what he does is he takes that and he's actually laying the foundation for what the church is going to be. He is saying not just brother, sister, but actually the body of Christ of whom Jesus is the head. So Jesus emphasizes the importance of spiritual family. He says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother's. Whoever does the father's will, not our own will, to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. That's what we are all called to do. Not our will, but his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the church. Say, we are the church. We are the church, the ecclesia. The Bible says the ecclesia is what people refer to as the church as well. The called out ones. Not necessarily called out from the world, although that's the part of it. But we're actually called out for the will of Christ. For the will of our Father in heaven. The early church wasn't called Christians. Did you know that? They weren't called Christians. Christian was a, for, uh, a term added to the church later, several hundred years later. In fact, they were initially called the people that lived that way. They were called the followers of the way. They kind of just, they changed and they just, they live different from the world. They live that way. Those that live that way mean that you actually not necessarily live that way, but a, a Christian realizes that we actually die that way. 
that I yield over to Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why I need to continue to lay down my sinful desires, to give them to him, not to take them away. See, when God takes them away, then we don't freely give them to him. Some of us that are living in proclivities of sinful nature, and we're having a tough time moving on from them, and we're saying, God, would you just take that away? He says, it's not mine to take. It's yours to give. To be set apart for him, we got to be able to give it over to him. If we give it over to him, then we can be made new in the likeness of Christ because we are God's people for him to work through us. We are the church. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hold out your hands. Hold out your hands just quickly like this. I know you're taking notes. It's like, what does he want me to do, pastor? Just take notes. And then he says, hold out my hands. I can't do both. All right, hold out your hands. Say, these are my hands. Keep your hands out. Now look at your feet right now. Don't look at me. Look at your feet. Say, these are my feet. Now look back up here and look at me. Say, this is my mouth. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's Galatians 3.20. Yeah, you can put your hands together for that. That's fantastic. Like, what I found is where we fall short is when we think this is mine again. See, Eli was bought with a price. Eli died a long time ago. It, the, the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can be used by Christ in every opportunity, in every sphere of our life. When we realize, I died a long time ago. I should have died. I should have killed myself on December 27, 2007. I should have, but God stepped in in the middle of my mess and turned it into a miracle. Come on, and you have the same story. The moment that Jesus stepped in, you died. And sometimes we just got to be able to pick up ourselves. and we gotta, Okay, I picked my life back up again. I got to lay it down again. I got to give it back to Jesus again. I got to be able to give it back over to him. There's nothing wrong with picking it up in your life again. But the moment you realize that you picked it up, realize I got to lay it down again. Sorry, God. I know you purchased me, but I'm going to lay my life back down for your name. Because we're all called to be used by God. The body of Christ to fulfill his work through us. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. See, in church today, it's a lot about my calling and my purpose. And I don't hear a lot of our and what the church is doing, not just locally, but globally. It's about what God wants to do for me. What about God building his church? It should be about his church. I'm calling us to a higher standard that, yes, what God wants to do in and through you. Yes, but it's also what God wants to do in and through his church, in this city, in this nation, and around this world. Come on, is this good or not? Is it good? Not yet? Okay, well, we're not even there yet. We're going to keep on going, right? He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, my fingers, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to one another. Each of you belong to each other. To lay your life down for Christ is one thing. To lay your life down for another, we have a tough time grasping. What does it mean to lay my life down for one another? It means to put their needs above my own. Paul constantly talks about this in several different books and epistles in the Bible, about putting the needs of your brother in front of your own. 
What's about what I want to do and what God has set me free from? And to the pure, all things are pure. Yeah, but to some people it's not. So are you going to refrain from that for the sake of your brother? Yes. Because it's about my brother more than it is about me. Because as Christ laid his life down for the church, so shall I. Each of us belongs to each other. And this is a pivot. You've got to notice this pivot. I laid the foundation. Now we're going to make a turn right here. We all pray for unity in the church. But what if the very thing we think is going to bring unity is actually the very thing that will bring division? Can I tell you that unity is not us all being the same? It's all of us having the same goal. He says, whoever does my Father's will in heaven, to do the will of the Father in heaven. Can I tell you that unity is less about conformity and more about harmony? Any musicians in here, if you play the same note, you don't get a song. But you need different notes. Even the B minor has a place in God's house. Even the most awkward musicians, if I had musicians up here, I'm not seeing you guys, you come up here, don't come up here, right? But if I just jumped on the keyboard and I started messing with Chris's layout, I could play one note and eventually it would get annoying and it wouldn't be a blessing. And I can't help what is causing the church at sometimes to appear annoying is because we're trying to get everyone in the church to conform to one sound. When it's less about one sound, it's more about creating a melody that will bless God's people. It's to be a light to the world, not an annoyance to the world. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a level of being transformed in the renewing of your mind. But not everyone talks like you. Not everyone thinks like you. Not everyone is like you. We are all called to not be like you, but to be like Christ. To be like the anointed one. So unity, let me say that one more time for those that were taking notes. Unity is not is less about being the same and it's more about having the same goal. Unity is less about conformity and more about harmony. Okay, Oxford Dictionary. I, this I, this blew my mind when I checked this out. I'm like, okay, okay, let me just make sure I have my words right. Like harmony, like there's harmony and then there's melody and I'm, I'm sometimes musically inclined and I'm sometimes not. And I just looked up harmony and Oxford Dictionary has this as the second uh, uh, de definition or meaning of harmony is an arrangement of the four gospels. Isn't that cool? Or of any parallel narratives, which presents a single continuous narrative text. Why are there four different gospels that, sit, that tell the same story? Because there's different types of people. Do you see it? Why don't we just have one gospel? Why isn't it just like Luke? Well, Luke is more of probably like, you know, Paul's account and, and, you know, like Mark is like Peter's account and Matthew was Matthew's account and John was John's account. You have your account too. They were pursuing the same goal, but they all had a different sphere that they were influencing. So Matthew was influencing the Jews, right? John was most likely the, the last one written, probably in his 90s he wrote the Gospel of John. He had a different revelation of who God was, not necessarily a different one, but maybe a different one that God revealed to him so that he could reach a certain type of people that he was called to reach. Ephesians 2.4 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why would we have to bear with one another if we were all the same? No, it's because we're all different. Look at your neighbor and say, you're different. All right, now try this. Say, I'm different. <laughs> what if I was different and now you were different? 
But the truth is, is everyone's different from us. He says, make every effort, say every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, say one body, and one Spirit, say one Spirit. One body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Can I ask you, who are you following? You have your Instagram and you have your TikTokers, and I'm not familiar with TikTok, but I assume it has like a recommendations page or like a for you page. What is it? It's like, what does it have? What is it called? It's called a for you page, right? What I found about these for you pages is that they cater to you. So if you have a certain mindset and you have a certain belief, whether it be about God or it be about this world, this algorithm will cater to what you already believe to be true. And what it does is it not only caters to you, but it actually isolates you from other people's opinions about God and revelations that the Holy Spirit has done. You're just reading the book of Mark. And you're saying John's wrong. And you're saying Luke's wrong. And you're saying Matthew's wrong. Can I tell you the church has many different parts of the body and all are essential. The church is essential. So don't let your recommendations isolate you from other people's revelations. You'll be robbed of what God is trying to share you, share with you. No matter what you're following and who you're following, whether it be Instagram, TikTok, MSNBC, influencer, friends, if you surround yourself and continually surround yourself with people that are just like you, it is hard to be transformed into Christ because Christ not only died for you, but the person that you disagree with. And I'm not talking about outside the church, my friend. I'm not talking about the world. I am talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe, give a shout out to Chloe, come on. Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which was Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And he has this question, is Christ divided? He just gets right to it. Is Christ divided? Let me ask you a question. Is Christ divided? No. But we act like he's divided when we start saying this is the right way, the person that teaches this. Reformed Christianity is the right Christianity. Charismatic, the right, this is the right church. That's the wrong church. Oh. What about that church? I don't follow that church because they're wrong. Oh. Okay, are we stepping on some toes now? Right, because we've all been there. I've been a part of some different churches. I've had hearts, thoughts come into my mind and things come into my heart. I said, that church just doesn't know what they're doing. That church is wrong. This influencer is wrong. This pastor is wrong. This person's wrong. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? So I'm not talking about what comes into, well, I'm talking about what comes into our heart when we mention these different churches, ministries, denominations, Baptists, Presbyterians. You think about Baptists, it's not Baptists, it's a denomination, not because of like John the Baptist started it. Otherwise, you'd have like Peter the Presbyterian and all these different types of, it wasn't like, 
it was denominations that people started. You'd have Mark the Methodist. No, like, what comes into our heart? We got to be able to have a gatekeeper that says, what comes into my heart? Let me ask you some other things that what comes to your mind when you hear about people talking about predestination or the gifts of the Holy Spirit or different things that are working without the church, different type of church, church services. When I mentioned the Catholic church and some people like, yeah, there are some sects of the Catholic church that are dead wrong, right? But I know a lot of saved people in the Catholic church, spirit-filled saved people. I know people that got filled with the Holy Spirit in the Catholic church. Is Christ divided? Now, there are people that are wrong and doing it out of wrong ambition, wrong motive. And for that, Christ will say, in the end, God will divide the wheat from the chaff. Let's not play the part of God. Let's not step and make come, cause someone to stumble who's growing in Christ, growing in a church. And we step in and say, why are you a part of that church? Are they growing after Christ or are they growing and following a person? Is Christ divided? He's not divided. Let me put in another statement that I hear going around the world today. It's about time you find another church. How many of y'all heard that before? Oh, it's all over social media now. I saw it blow up with this Israel-Palestine thing too. I saw it blow up with some, some comments about the LGBTQ community. I saw it blow up with about different things of charismatic people that believe in faith. People that say that it's a spirit-filled church. It's about time that you find yourself a church that actually believes the Bible. Is Christ divided? then why do we let that comment come so quickly into our hearts? Why are we so quickly to say that comment? Is Christ divided? He's not. It's about time you find another church. Anytime you see that, see the spirit behind that. It's a divisive spirit. Now, I think the intentions are good. I think that they're trying to help people grow, but they're going about it the wrong way. Because we're trying to set an algorithm on how people grow. That's why you need to pick up this book, 12 Christian Beliefs That Will Drive You Crazy. Because if I know more truth, that doesn't mean I know Christ. If I'm a part of the right church, that doesn't mean I know Christ. If I sing the right songs, that doesn't mean I know Christ. Can I tell you, you can be a part of the persecuted church in China and still more part, know more about Christ than a person that has access to the church every single day in the United States. You can have a page of the Bible and know the power of the Holy Spirit more than someone that knows all the epistles that Paul wrote because it's about knowing Christ. So let's not get distracted in certain dogmas on what it really means to follow God. Now we're going to be able to answer some questions because some of you have some questions, but Pastor Eli, aren't there like some things that are like, you know, I mean, how many of y'all are thinking about that question right now? You can kind of shoot up your hand like, Pastor, like there's some things like, aren't there like some things? And yeah, so let's keep reading. So Paul is continuing one thought, right? Who follows Paulus? Who follows Paul? Who follows Cephas? Who, who follows Christ? Right? This is one thought. Then he goes into this thing about the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then he goes back into this idea in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Are you thinking about it in a worldly way? I'm trying to call our church higher. And if we're going to bring unity to the church across this city, I'm not talking about conformity. I'm talking about pursuit of Jesus Christ. And there's some churches that do it different. Is Christ divided? He's not. Okay, so let's keep going in this thought. 1 Corinthians 3.13. He talks about these workers. He says, their work will be shown for what it is. 
Because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet they will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames, they'll smell like smoke. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now he's talking to the church. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's not talking about the individual. The body of Christ. God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Yes, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But this church is also the temple of God. When we are together, the Spirit is here in our midst. And when we tear apart the church, we're attacking the bride. And I don't know about you, but if you attack my bride, I don't think we're on friendly terms when we start tearing down the bride of Christ. And I want us to be guarded, especially in this house, how we refer to other churches, how we refer to other pastors, especially in this city. We are all a part of the church I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Is Christ divided? No. So right now, across this city and around this nation, millions and millions of people are gathering together to worship one Savior, one Jesus. Some leaders are doing it out of selfish ambition. Some leaders are in it for greed. Let Christ figure that out. Are they preaching the truth? Are there people encountering the Holy Spirit? Are there people encountering God and being transformed into his likeness? It'll be tested by fire when that day comes, right? And if there's certain people that are growing in it, don't rob that person. Be like, you know, this pastor does, believes this or this pastor. Like, no. If they're growing in Christ, now if they have questions, you don't have to always paint it to a church or a denomination. Paint it to truth. Because denominations change. They shift. They have different leaders over them. Different people, they get a little bit more, more, more conservative things, more liberal, all sorts of different stuff. You see it happen. That's why you don't marry a denomination, right? Just look up the Southern Baptist Convention and what's happening there. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying be aware of it, right? There's certain, there's certain Lutheran churches in the ECLA that are, that are going after certain things that aren't biblical, and we got to be able to draw a line on that. And at this time, I'm going to invite the keys to come up as, as we kind of lay this foundation. And so, so put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that. Where do we draw the line? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, 7 says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? To take the higher road when someone insults you, that's Christ-like. To not defend yourself when someone says you're wrong? Okay. Okay, I'm gonna be cheated. I'm gonna be wrong, especially within, when it's in the body of Christ because I'm gonna show restraint and acting and aggression and vengeance towards one another. So there's some people that go around and they sue one another in churches. That's not biblical. I will be wronged. I will be wronged by other church members. You will be wronged by other church members. We're called to choose the higher road for the sake of reflecting Christ. Not necessarily so that there be unity, but when we reflect Christ, there is unity. Some of us do these things, well, we got to have unity in the church. No, 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 no. The goal is to reflect Christ. And he's one. Christ's not divided. He's not divided. So the offense that we received, although it is real, is very rarely the thing. You don't leave a church because the carpet's green. 
I was a part of a church with green carpet. Remember some people, we got to get rid of the pews. We got to get, and there's some churches that have some nice auditoriums and some people are like, yeah, that's still 70s. Is Christ divided? No, no, no. Is the Holy Spirit falling and, and, and ministering to people? Yeah. Yeah. And there's some people, don't get me wrong, that are outright, outright foolish in their delivery of it. Right? It's between them and God. Their board can call them out on it. I'm going to go to their church. If, if there's someone coming to me from another church, I say, hey, be careful about talking about your church. My church didn't do this, and my church didn't. And, I, and what they're doing is they're trying, to, they're trying to build me up, and they're saying, hey, I just love this about my city church because my church never did this. I'm like, hold on a second. That's still the bride of Christ. It's like a guy leaving his wife and, and going to his kids and saying, man, this girl's so much better at cooking. Or she cooks the best meals. What's the kid going to find? What, mom didn't cook the, the best meals? So you left one and went to another, and now you start bragging about this other, but you're comparing it to the other. We don't compare. We go after Christ. We don't look at some churches and what they have and some churches what they have and what this church has. We don't do that. No, no, no. That's not biblical. We go after Christ together. This is not you attending. This is you being a part of the body of Christ. You are receiving, but you're also contributing. You are a part of the body of Christ. We are his body, so we reflect him. We are in love with following him. But we don't leave it there with following him. I follow Christ, yes. No, I reflect him. Reflect Christ, not just follow him. He is gentle. Are we gentle? Are you gentle? He is faithful. Are we faithful? He is humble. Are we humble? He is long-suffering. He is with us. Are we with others? My wife said this over yesterday. She said, offense is, not an, is a name. It's not an organization. So you can think about a church and think that church wounded me, but there's a name attached to that. You have to be able to identify it. There's a person. It wasn't a denomination. It wasn't an organization. It was a person. Do not label the bride of Christ because some person did something wrong. Church hurt is a very real thing, but do not consider it a badge of honor. The things that you have gone through were not fair, and Christ wants to help heal you from that. But don't take pride in that. Why well, I left this church because this happened? No, you need to get healing from that, and you'll know you have healing when you have love for that church that wounded you. Jesus says this, don't return slap for slap, turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies. And he's not just giving a model to the world on how to deal with persecution. He's also giving a model to the church on how to deal with disunity. So when you are wounded, why not rather be wounded? Why not rather be wronged? I'm not going to try to prove to others, well, I was right and I left because of this. No, no, no. Like, they had their perspective and I had mine. And you know, I'm going to pray for them, not even just for their sake, but for my own. So many of us, we go to different things because it's our culture. and Our culture is our preference not our identity. You are not a charismatic Christian. You are a Christian who believes in the power of the Holy Spirit working through people's lives. Some people say, I'm a Catholic Christian. Anything before Christian is an identity beyond what you are first called to, and that's Christ. I'm a Republican Christian. I do not align with the Republican Party. I align with the kingdom of God. 
I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian first. And guess what? If I'm a Christian and I go to a church that is predominantly, I don't know, let's say a black church in Africa, that they're very, they're very intense. They'll do like 10 offerings during a message. And it's awesome. We don't do that here. But I'll go to the church and I have commonality because they are Christians and followers of Christ. That's what unity is. We are unified on Christ, not on our preference, not on our culture. They say, well, your, your blackness doesn't matter to God. Yes, it does. Your culture matters to God. Your color matters to God. Well, I don't see color. Really? Well, John did. In Revelation chapter 7, he said, I see all sorts of different nations and languages and different nationalities. I saw different types of people from afar. He could see the differences, and they're all as a multitude worshiping the Father. So I wonder if he was from a path. Well, I see the Reformed community, and I see the Methodist church, and I see the Baptist, and those are the Charismatics because they got the flags, and they got the ribbons, and, and those are the Pentecostals because they got the snakes. Oh, man. Okay, that's fine. You know, they're all worshiping the same God. So you're part of the body. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday. That's why it's important that you get a part of the group. You're a part of the body. Say, I am the body. So 1 Corinthians 12 says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. We are the body. So I want to share just a quick story and we're going to rush through some of this stuff because uh, we'll just get through it. All right, so Acts chapter 9. This is the danger that a lot of us fall into. It talks about Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the early church. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any though there who belonged to the way, remember the Christians of the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem where they'd be basically executed. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus said to Saul, no, 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 Saul. You are persecuting me. And I think it's important for us, especially when we desire unity, not just in this church, but we have unity in the global church, knowing that we are a part of the body of Christ. And I don't care what you believe about Jesus in terms to an extent, like believe he's the son of God, yes. But if you're on trial for your faith and they're telling you to denounce Jesus' name and you say no, you've got a friend here. I don't care what church you are a part of. I don't care what denomination you are a part of. When it actually comes time to say, will you follow Jesus or not? You're gonna be killed if you don't. I'm gonna kill your family if you don't. I'm gonna kill these people if you don't. And you say, I will not deny the name of Jesus Christ. Everything else is pointless. Can we build our foundation off of Christ? Because God forbid persecution ever comes in this nation. It's happening right now throughout the Middle East. 3,000, 4,000 people have died. They know for sure this year that did not, that chose not to deny Christ, that were killed. Some statistics say millions have died, tens of millions have died since the year 2000 because they refused to deny their faith. And I don't care if they took the ribbons and the flags out and they were jumping, doing all the worship stuff, or if they were singing the hymns. 
When it came, push came the shove, they did not decry, deny Christ. Can I tell you, you got a friend here. So we can put our differences aside. We can watch different things about John MacArthur telling that charismatics are full of the devil. Okay, John, go ahead. We can do that. But you know what? When push comes to shove and it comes to the point where we have a choice to either deny Christ or not, if we choose not to, guess what? You're a part of the body. You got a friend here. Right? Can we put our differences aside and be able to see, hey, it doesn't matter those things. If we decide not to deny Christ when the end comes, you got a friend here. So let's stand to our feet. And I'm way over, so I apologize. And I did not plan my time well with the longer worship and then the message. And so <laughs> if just bear with me because we're going to still do salvation and then we're going to dismiss. And, and uh, I want to be able to give an opportunity every time in this church. See, we see Paul thought he was serving God by purifying God's people. The Holy Spirit is called to do that. And we got to create room for people that are in this house to be able to encounter the Holy Spirit so that God can work in their hearts. Many of us cancel them before they even have a chance to be in here. And some of us, if we were real honest, we are them. There's got to be room for God's transformation in his house. Do you know what the line is? Where we cross the line and we call it out? It's when people call evil good. And that is very clearly defined in Scripture. When they call evil good, no. Paul talks about a man in Corinthians. He said this person was sleeping with his, his, his mother-in-law. No, that's wrong. Right? And we can find that through Scripture. That's done through discipleship. Sometimes it's done through the pulpit, primarily through discipleship, but it's also done through the pulpit. Right? But if we were really honest, a lot of us have come in here with things that we choose to hide. And I need you to know that there is room for humanity here at this church because we are all pursuing the same Christ. And just because you don't have it figured out does not mean that there's not room for you to figure it out. And it's not even you that figures it out. It's grace that works in and through you that figures it out for you. Right? So whether you're in here right now and you're struggling with a porn addiction, there's room for you right now to be able to encounter Christ and be transformed. If you're in here right now and you're struggling with an alcohol addiction, addiction of any kind of kinds, drug addiction, whatever it may be, there's room for you to encounter Christ here to be transformed. I don't care if you did drugs last night and you found yourself in church today. There's room for you to be transformed. I don't care if you're struggling with same-sex attraction. There's room for you in here to be transformed. I don't care if you're sitting there thinking about different types of things and you have sexual identity issues, right? There's room for you here to encounter Christ and to be transformed into his likeness. If we say Jesus is the way and we're saying I desire to know him, but I have these things that are holding me back, there's got to be room in the house of God to encounter him. We got to have room in that. Because we are all after one Christ with one voice and one accord. I don't care if you're saying, Pastor Eli, the, the gifts have ceased. There's room for you here to encounter the Holy Spirit. I just ask that you be open to it. And you don't sit there and judge a pastor for speaking in tongues. And you don't divide a revival happening at Miller South or Papillion South High School because they started talking about tongues. Hold on a second, Chris. This happened. We had 50 people at a Bible study in Papillion South. I was a senior in high school. Tongues got brought up. Next week, four people showed up because we let these things divide us rather than being a light. So we got to be able to get over those differences. And if we see it different, we got to pursue Christ together. Amen? All right, so I got to pray. And uh, I'm going to give a moment here um, for, for us today. So if you're in here, and, and, and this is how I want to do it, like, 
you're in here today and you know you're far from God. With every head bowed today, I want you to know that there is a loving Christ that is calling you home today. You are not far from him. He makes room for you. Even when he felt like the church has not made room for you, he makes room for you. I just want to have you lift up your hand in a moment because I want to pray a prayer with you and I want to know who I'm praying for today. So if you're in here and say, Pastor Eli, that is me. I feel far from God and I want to be able to come close to him today. I want to give my life over to him. Maybe you ran away from him and you've been away from God for a while. Today's your day to come back. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor Eli, that's me, I want you to lift up your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Shoot up your hand. Shoot up your hand. I see your hand right there. I see your hand right there. I see your hand right there. Amen. Amen. If your hand's up, you can put it down. We're all going to say a prayer after this as a sign of support to every single person that raised their hand. Would you say this prayer after me? Say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, so I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin, no matter how far I am from you. Thank you for giving me new life that I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. So right now, this is my new beginning. And from this day forward, I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together this morning. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If this message encouraged you, help us get the word out. Consider sharing it with a friend, rating, or subscribing. If you want to know more about our church, check out our website at mycitychurch.cc or our Instagram at mycitycentral. We look forward to sharing another encouraging word with you next week. God bless.